Thank you for tuning in to Handling Business, the show for entrepreneurs on the go who are looking for answers to tackle their biggest obstacles. Have you ever wanted to call up a successful business owner and ask them how they got to the top? Have you ever wanted to ask a marketing expert or rock star lawyer just a few questions that could take you to the next level? We talk to mobile service industry experts who have been there and done that. This podcast is sponsored by Handler. If you're using clunky old scheduling software to run your mobile service business, your life could be so much easier. Handler is like open table meets Lyft for personal pet and home service providers who manage fleets of people on the go. Handler handles it all for you so that you can work smarter, not harder. All right, are you ready to handle your business like a boss? Let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Handling Business. We are so excited today because we have a real treat for you. Joette White is an award-winning business owner, board member, wife, mother, actress, and active community member. She has owned Park City's Pet Sitter since 2002 and has dedicated herself to creating the very best pet care business by investing in her employees' happiness and well-being. Because of Joette's exemplary business practices, her company was awarded NAP's 2017 Business of the Year Award, a national recognition given to a pet sitting company that demonstrates outstanding business practices and vision in maintaining and growing their business. Park City's Pet Sitter has also won many local-based awards, including Angie's List Super Service Award for the last five consecutive years, Best of Dallas by D Magazine, and has been featured on WFAA Channel 8, Dallas Voice, and the Dallas Observer. So as you can imagine, Joette's been really busy. (laughs) She's really been hustling, and she's an entrepreneur that we thought we really wanted to have on the show because... She is a true professional and she's setting the standards in her industry. So, everyone, welcome, Joette. Thank you. Appreciate all that. (laughs) Of course. Joette, thank you so much for being on. I am just so excited to kind of dive into how you got started and where where Park Cities really began. And before we get into that, though, I have kind of a funny question for you. Sure. <laughs> I want to get to know you a little bit more. So if you were a breed of dog, what would you be and why? You know, it's so funny because I've, I've, I'm asked this a lot and I've never have a really good solid answer for it. And I've thought about it quite a bit. I think I lean more towards the Great Dane for a, a few mm-hmm. reasons. One, I, I, well, I love their look. So if I had to be a dog, I'd like to be a big, you know, striking, you know, breed. <laughs> so, uh-huh. but I just like their loyalty and their, you know, their their purpose, which is you know, kind of to, to to guard the home and everything. But they're fun. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they think they're lap dogs, yet they're they're you know they're huge in size. Mm-hmm. I just think that if I wanted, to, you know, if I had to be a dog or wanted to be a dog, and it could be a dog, it would be absolutely be a great thing. Oh, I love it! You know, I have an Irish Wolfhound, so I'm a oh. big dog lover. <laughs> <laughs> I am too, and it's funny. I tell clients. If you want a big dog and you live in an apartment, you know, because you know they need exercise and stuff. Great Danes are actually mm-hmm. a good apartment dog, which most people wouldn't wouldn't think of. So, but they actually do fit in well in that environment. Yep, definitely. And have you had a Great Dane before? Do you have dogs? Yes, I have had a Great Dane and absolutely love them. So, and I have mm-hmm. a little terrier mix currently, and she looks like the little mini me of my of my previous Great Dane. It's quite quite cute. Oh, very cute. 
<laughs> and you also have kids, right? I do. I have two boys, eight and 12. Wow. So how do you manage all of that? Dogs, business, kids. I just don't know how, how people do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a juggle. It is, you know, because it's, it, it, you know, one doesn't, you know, just go away just because you're, you're you know, when I'm at work, I, you know, home still exists. The kids still mm-hmm. exist. The husband still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it is hard to find a balance. My kids are old enough now that they understand when mom comes home, give her a good 30 minutes, let her eat, let her kind of readjust and, and, you know, mm-hmm. change my mind, mind frame on, on what I'm doing. The biggest thing for me was separating my business from my home. And that gave me, you know, the opportunity to go to work and then come home and be home. So, um, so that I could have that, that separation, not that I don't work from home at, you know, from time to time, but having that separation meant I could literally leave work at work, you know? So um, that's really critical. And let's talk about that. So with Park City's pet sitting, now, when did you, when did you start this business? And your situation is a little bit unique because you actually purchased the business, correct? Yeah. So this business was started by um, a lady back in 1992. She actually started it as a hobby because she loved animals. Mm-hmm. And I started working for her in 1996. Uh, I was trying to pursue an acting career at that time. And um, I needed something with flexibility. And another friend of mine was working for her. And I was like, hey, I love animals. Hook me up. You know? Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was a very simple process. I just went and interviewed and got the job. And um, I worked for her for four years as a pet sitter. And the last year that I was there, I actually came in and worked in her office. And I was the first person that actually gave her freedom to go and do things and have a weekend off and take a vacation and so forth. Mm-hmm. I really loved both sides of it. I've, I've always loved customer service. And she decided that she wanted to move to San Francisco and do something new and was talking about selling the business. And I'm like, ooh, I want this. You know, How can I get this? And it was about mm-hmm. a six-month process to figure out how I was going... You know, what we, what, how are we going to value it? How am I going to get the money to pay for it? I was fortunate at that time that I was able to get an SBA loan and being a woman was helpful at that time as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot more difficult now uh, in this day and age, but I was able to get an SBA loan and to work that out with her. And yeah, here I am. So wow. uh, super, super thrilled. And she really wanted it to go to me and the clients and the staff was that everybody already knew me. They were used to working with me. Mm-hmm. And so my SBA loan really... The reason I got that loan, they told me, was because you know there's nothing tangible to to you know put a lien against or anything when you when you buy a, a goodwill business. But they said they felt the risk was low, you know, for losing clients and losing staff. And I didn't lose a single person on either side, so they were absolutely right. And would you buy another pet sitting business, knowing that you know it's it is a goodwill business? I ha- actually have. I bought another one this past September. And uh-huh. so this is my second second venture <laughs> to buying a business. Uh-huh. And I think I thought it would be a lot easier than it was. I don't regret it, but it was a lot of work. You know, when you're mm-hmm. buying any, any business, you want to you look at several things. And one of those things is, you know, how closely do they run their business like you do? How closely, how close is their pricing? Mm-hmm. You know, they have employees or independent contractors, you know, and then how do they value their business? And, you know, are they realistic? Because a lot of people have an emotional attachment to it and want to put a high value on it because of all the work they put in and so forth. But at the end of the day, the value, you know, is it, it, it relies on a, on, a, on a few different things, and you have to really consider, you know, are you going to be able to keep those clients, and are you, you know, it, otherwise it's just a list, you know. So, right. or, you know, if you're a list, it's not there's not that much value to it. 
So, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah. So I, and I would do it again, but not for a while. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually took over um, uh, contractors and converted them to employees. Ooh. So, which I did with this business as well. And yeah, it was, it was quite the adventure, but we're, we're, we're way over the hump and, and I am very happy that I did it. All right. So for anyone else that's thinking about selling their business, how would you recommend that they start going about that process? You know, that's tough. I've actually thought about that. You know, would I sell my business one day? And you really want to make sure you have all your books in order, all your numbers, you you know, mm-hmm. financials, the, those reports are critical uh, when someone's looking at, you know, taking over or buying somebody's business. So, you know, making sure you're keeping really good records. And if you haven't, then you need to get, you know, an accountant in there and make sure everything is cleaned up. And, and so you could pull those reports, you know, your revenue reports and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, keeping really good margins. A healthy business is critical. When I bought this a second business, there were issues that I, you know, we knew that they had their margins were weak. To really have a healthy pet sitting business, you really need about a 50% margin. So you want to make sure that those that's you know really good. Mm-hmm. And that you're showing, you know, that you've got good customer relations and good presence in the market. And that, you know, if you have staff, again, you know, it's all if you manage your staff well, then that transition should be, you know, should be easier to 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 market and, and potentially find buyers. You know, but it is a niche business. So not everybody is looking for for that type of thing. And I would also, you know, recommend that you look within the pet sitting industry to see about marketing to those folks first than, than just to some random person who's never you know been involved in that. So, but yeah, it's really about, you know, making sure you're keeping them, you know, really good, accurate records, have a, have a scheduling software, you know, anything to streamline the business so that when you're handing it off or, or, you know, looking at selling it, it's more attractive to someone else. Right. And the business definitely has to be running without you. You have to be totally stepped away from it in order for somebody to have the confidence to come in and be able to take it over as an owner, correct? You know, it helps, but that's mm-hmm. not necessarily... That doesn't necessarily have to be. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as it's run well. But again, a lot of times those clients are attached to you and attached to, you know, so how are they going to be when they, you know, someone new steps in? So if you've created an environment where that those clients are reliant on the business and not reliant on one individual, then you have a much better chance of passing that on and those clients staying, you know, mm-hmm. if they move to, to a different owner. But again, being like-minded and, and that type of thing is, is, is really key because if you're coming in and you're completely run your business differently and you're going to change everything and change all your pricing and all that stuff, that, that huge disruption will definitely cause a lot of people to potentially move on. Exactly. Okay. So let's go back in time a little bit. <laughs> so when you were taking over Park City's Pet Sitter, where was the business at at that point? How many employees? And you said they were contractors. About how many clients did you have at that time? We, um, gosh, we were probably about, man, I'm trying to think. We, I think we had about 12 contractors at that point, And we were doing probably around 300000 a year was the revenue. And so that was much more manageable for one person to take over at that point. So yeah, and I'm trying to think. We probably had about 400 active clients at that time. Mm-hmm. And what was the process like as far as transitioning everyone over from independent contractors? And what were some of the other things that you came in and decided to to improve? Well, you know, it's when we first when I first bought the company in 2000 is when I bought it, and I did not convert to employees until 2010. So it was a decade later. Mm-hmm. It always had been on my mind, but we were actually audited by the TWC, which is the, the Texas Workforce Commission here in Texas, and we 
you know, pursued that. We, you know, you know, did everything we could to try to stay as contractors because I, we were all nervous about what the cost was going to be to move to employees, even though I knew mm-hmm. I wanted control. Ultimately, if you have independent contractors and you're giving them any direction at all, uh, are you doing anything that, you know, you're training them, right? You really do have employees. And mm-hmm. if you're going to start a business, I definitely recommend to anyone to absolutely start out with employees. You're in a much better position long-term. But when we converted... We took us about three years. We talked about it a lot. How are we going to do it? I like to do everything to where if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it really well. And to be able to offer workers' comp, where Texas is the only state in the U.S. that is not required to provide workers' compensation. So it's you know a volunteer type of thing. So, hmm. But I, I knew that was critical for us because we wanted that protection for ourselves and also for our staff. So we just got to the point where we wanted to make sure we were in a good financial position mm-hmm. uh, to be able to, to make that change. And once we did, you know, our, our staff, like I said, I'm really very transparent with my staff and they knew what why we were doing it. And, you know, I, I actually was able to show them that they would actually make more money as an employee than they would as an independent contractor because mm-hmm. we would now be paying half of their self-employment tax, which if they were reporting their taxes correctly as an independent contractor then that would save them, you know, 7.65, you know, percent on their unemployment tax. Not to mention they still could write off things as, you know, as an employee, they could still write off their mileage and, you know, partial office type stuff. Mm-hmm. So they had some, you know, some really good uh, options to make more money long term. So, and they wouldn't have to be worried about, you know, paying their taxes, you know, we take care of that yeah. for them. So, you know, it really was a very smooth transition for us. It just took a while. And I tell you what, I sleep a lot better at night. And yes. <laughs> uh, I now, you know, and it's a great selling point, a great marketing point as well. You know, to, mm-hmm. when you have so many people in this business do not, but I can tell you that the IRS and, you know, the other entities are, they're making the rounds and they're, they're looking at businesses like ours. And especially if you, if you do any amount of revenue and, you know, you're better, uh, better off going ahead and making that, that, that jump initially, or, you know, as soon as you can. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I, and what you said about sleeping better at night too is a very, very good point. <laughs> Just having that added level of liability coverage is huge. So when you were making that transition, because I mean, it does add almost 30% more cost and reduces your margin by a lot. So you said that you had to prepare for that. What are some things that you did to kind of increase profitability so that you could make room for that big change? You know, actually, that, that that's not true, that, that 30% increase. It really, really isn't. Um, it's all mm-hmm. based on how you how you structure your business. The company, as I bought it, was set up where we were doing anywhere from 50 to 60% would go to the staff member. So you, it was a percentage based on a percentage. So every time we raised our rates, everybody got a raise across the board, mm-hmm. whether they deserved it or not. So when we moved to employee, we went to a flat rate model. Some people do hourly, some people do the flat piece rate. So uh, we went to that so that we had the option that when we raised rates, you know, our sitters didn't get a raise unless we wanted to give them a raise. So we had had done a rate increase a couple of different times over that course of that decade. And so that gave us the margins that we really needed to be able to then take on that tax and take on that workers' compensation and so forth. So we were in a really good position. So, you know, again, you know, just making the leap from independent contractors to employees, it really depends on how are you paying your staff? Do you have control of your margins? And then, you know, what are your other business expenses and so forth? And so, you know, and again, you know, we we also are are very, very transparent with our staff. We talk to them about, 
what it takes to run a business, what a healthy business looks like, what expenses are from our end, you know, without going into great detail, mm-hmm. just kind of give them that overview and a pie chart kind of a kind of a thing. And you know, that the fact is that, you know, we might be paying them nine or ten dollars per visit, but there's a lot more cost involved than just that. It's not just that nine to ten dollars. So we have other additional costs on top of that so that they understand what that breakout is. So they're not looking and saying, hey, you're charging this much and I'm only getting this much. It's like, yeah, well, there's a lot more involved in running a business. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And that transparency, I think they really appreciate it and that they also understand, you know, that's the reason why that they're getting paid this much and we're getting paid this much, but we're, you know, it's it's still uh, very difficult to keep those margins in line, especially when you know, you do have, um, as you continue to grow and you have more costs, you know, admin costs and that sort of burden that comes on as you continue to scale. But there's ways to reduce that. So let's talk about your systems and processes. What are some systems that you put in place in your business that has made a world of a difference as far as you continuing to expand? Because at this point, you have how many employees? We have, uh, I think... Uh, 47, I think, currently. Wow, that's impressive. Which, it's really small, honestly. For the volume of business we do, we do about 60,000 visits a year. Mm-hmm. So for the volume of business we do, we do it with a very small group of people. You'll find other companies that do a lot, lot less volume, but have a lot more people. They have a lot more part-time people. We have, a, we have several that are full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, SARS is definitely unique uh, compared to others in the industry um, across the country. But you know, processes absolutely are, are 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 key for me. It was that I needed to one add really good software to be able to maintain managing my staff and my clients and all the data that goes with that. Being able to have you know a training process, an onboarding process for staff, and also anything that we can do that's going to help keep our costs low as far as you know advertising and marketing for that low hanging fruit. You know where we're marketing back to our our client base, and then again you know thinking of other ways that we can keep those costs low, but yet still Mm -hmm. keep that revenue coming in. Layers. For me, adding layers, meaning adding additional help. Yes, I could do everything, but I couldn't do everything well. I I, I recognize what my weaknesses are. And so aligning myself with those people that could actually do those things that really well and and complement me. And also being able to slowly pull myself out of pet sitting and out of running the day-to-day so I could focus on the bigger picture and having other people and processes in place to, to manage that for me. Now, I'm still very hands-on when it comes to... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not above anything. I'll, I'll get down in, you know, in the trenches with, you know, to do whatever I need to do. Mm-hmm. But I do have that, that layer and that structure now that I'm able to really focus on growing the business rather than you know, dealing with all of the minutia of the day-to-day activities. Exactly. And I think that some people, when they first start their business, they really think that they have to do everything. And if they let anyone else in, that the quality will go down. But what they're not realizing is that if you're trying to do everything, there's only so much you can do. And you're going to make mistakes, especially if you're burned out. And if you don't have those systems in place to do everything the same way every time. I'm just a huge believer in, in breaking down every every single thing that you do into almost a series of steps or or a gigantic handbook, everything from how to speak to a new client, a script that everyone kind of follows when a new client calls, things like that. When you bought the business, did you already have a handbook in place and did you already have software or were those just a process? I think everybody thinks too that they have to do everything at one time. And then they get overwhelmed and they end up putting it off and putting it off. <laughs> yeah, that, that is so true. 
Uh-huh. You know, I, when I bought the business, we used a desktop program called ACT, which was okay. It was mm-hmm. fine. And I was really very anxious to move to a web-based software because I thought, wow, I have no control and I love control. So that's one of my biggest strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, can, can, can come in handy sometimes, but sometimes it can hurt you. Because, you know, again, if you're not willing to give that control up, like you'd mentioned, because you're worried about the quality control, then you're never going to be able to grow. So you have to learn how to trust people and trust that, you know, they're going to make mistakes and you've got to be okay with that. But yeah, so I moved to my first web-based software, which gave us a lot more freedom and also gave our staff the option to be able to actually enter data in. And again, training them and trusting them and so forth. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, but I also really try to learn from them and not repeat those mistakes again and again. So, you know, I'm, I'm my background. I'm not, I don't have a four-year degree. I didn't, I didn't go to school for business or anything like that. I just had a passion for people and animals. Mm -hmm. And so what drove me was just, you know, what do I need to do to get better? And then recognizing that I'm not great at everything. So I need to trust other people and I need to know that other people can do these things, even though. And you know, they may not do them exactly as I do. Are they getting the same result? That's really mm-hmm. the, most, the most important thing. And then, like I said, once we were able to streamline and kind of add additional things, you know, one of the very first things I did was add a voicemail system because the previous owner let clients call her all hours of the evening, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so we set we set office hours and we set some boundaries, you know, and people were respectful of that. Initially, you know, you think, oh my gosh. They only want me. They'll only talk to me. I've got to be at their beck and call, you know, because this and that. You'd be very surprised about how people will respect that. The company that I just bought in September was very much that, that they text the owner and he responded right away, no matter what time of day or night it was. And so I had to slowly wean them off of that in a very gentle way and get them on board with how we did things because there's just no way we could manage that. And, you know, there were a few people that, you know, wanted what they wanted and that, you know, said, sorry, unfortunately, we can't, we can't do that anymore. But for the most part, people were, I, I had, I was very surprised how easy it was, quite honestly. So, you know, being able to have policies and procedures in place, tweak them as you need to, you don't have to have a policy and procedure for every little thing. I can tell you that I'm mm-hmm. really bad about that type of thing, thinking, oh, one, this one thing happens and I have to have a policy on it. No, the, just the main core things that you need, but sticking to them. But then on the other side, being able to bend, being able to say, you know what, this time I'm not going to enforce this and I'm going to you know, think of goodwill. Those relationships with your clients and your staff are critical for growth yes. and longevity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have staff that have been with me 15, 20 years and it's, you know, again, it's oh all goodness. relationships. Same with clients as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, just really working hard at that. And what are some tips as far as finding really, really good employees, but also keeping them happy. I know this could be a whole other interview. (laughs) Oh, yes, it can. You could write a book about it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, the struggle is real, let me just say. (laughs) Uh Finding finding good staff. The people are out there. It's just trying to explain how this business works. And it's not not for everybody. And, And again, it's how you structure your business as well, as far as what type of staff you're looking for. Like I said earlier, we do have a lot of full-time employees. So people doing this business are doing service several times a day throughout the evening, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So you have to have them find a balance as well. We advertise probably like everybody else does. I advertise on Craigslist and we use a product called Hireology, which is a very inexpensive program to help you us manage that process. 
weeding through the, uh, we do, you know, then we had a layer of, you know, we do phone interviews for people that we feel that would potentially be a good candidate. And then we do in person. And then, you know, we have a, a little bit of testing and some other things that we do to get them trained and, and up and running. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's still hit and miss. There's no magic recipe to just say, this, is, this works and it works every time. You're going to get the best employees. You know, I've had people that I thought, oh my gosh, these, this, is, this person's going to be awesome. And then, you know, next thing I know, they've, you know, somehow screwed me over or, or they've stolen a bag of litter from a client. I'm like, oh my God. You know, and then you have the people like, oh, I don't know, you know, and then they wow you, you know. So you got to have some sort of a guideline, but then you have to have a good intuition as well and kind of have to listen to your gut. I think to a certain degree, but you also have to listen to the, pay attention to those, you know, those red flags. And I, there have been times that I've hired people because I've felt emotional about it and felt like I need to help this person. I need to rescue this person somehow. And that doesn't always do me well. And so I have to really, you know, put all the pieces together to try to, you know, see if that person is going to be a good fit or not. And then, you know, it's that first 90 days. If they stick after that first 90 days, and I generally know they're going to be potentially there long-term. So, Joette, as far as keeping team morale with all of your pet sitters, what are some things that you do to keep people engaged? And and with 40, you said 47 employees, 45? 47, right? 47 employees. How do you get them all together? How do you How do you have a relationship with that many people? And do you have a way to kind of, I wouldn't say... Um, scale that, but what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, do you have a, a process for that? I mean, how do you keep in touch with all of them? Yeah. You know, that's a, that's, that's really critical. And that I, during our, you know, some of our growing pains that has been, a, has been a problem for me because initially I'm, I'm very hands-on with each individual person. I probably get a little bit more involved with, with staff than, than most people do um, because it is a relationship, you know? So I know a lot of personal things about them, especially those people that have been with me 15, 20 years. You know, we've been through a lot together. They've seen all the changes that I've gone through and the company's gone through. And so it's affected them, obviously. I seek their advice as well over time. Again, the larger you get, then you have to add more pieces. I'm only one person, so I can't be available for everybody all the time even though I try to set aside time in order to do that. So we try to do you know, group things where we'll have staff meetings. We don't have an op- a place where we can get everybody together at once. And not, not to mention it would be difficult because everybody's schedules are all different, but we do small groups and we mix it up. So it's not the same small group with the, with the same, you know, each other. We split it up so they get to see other sitters and so forth. Mm-hmm. We just try to, you know, communicate with them throughout the week. We do group messages and, and group emails. And then, you know, we will have those meetings and, and times and opportunities to get together. We encourage them all the time to communicate with us. Mm-hmm. And we're also really that open door policy where we have, we, we, we know they're human when, and we make mistakes. We know they're going to make mistakes. And the biggest thing that I really try to do is, is, you know, I don't beat somebody up. You make a mistake and something happens in that moment. My goal is to keep you calm Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the last thing you need is somebody telling you how, how stupid you were for doing that. What, what were you thinking? And you know, it's it's all about oh, okay, Noel. Let, we're let, let's figure out what we need to do next, and so forth. And then later, figure out how I'm going to use that as a teaching moment. And again, mm-hmm. very you know, very diplomatically, you know, because I, I always put myself in that position. How would I want someone to treat me if this were to happen or that were to happen? Or, you know, if somebody missed a visit or whatever, you know, if we have a chronic problem, obviously we're going to deal with it. But if it's something that, you know, you know, stuff happens. So, um, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're you know, treating them with respect and so forth. But we expect this, that from them as well. You know, we have a, a no gossip policy. You know, if you're, you're constantly complaining to somebody else, 
that can't solve the problem, that's gossip to me. So, um, and that's just poison within your, within your group. So we try to minimize that. We don't talk negative about our competition, our clients, our staff, you know, just something we really try to keep positive, you know, and when we do have those moments, sometimes you do need to vent, you do need to get something off your chest and that's fine as long as you're talking mm-hmm. to the appropriate people. But yeah, it's just, you know, doing all we can. And, and sometimes that's hard to manage. Sometimes we have other things going on and it's like, you know, it's been a while since like we've connected. And so we're like, oh my gosh, let's get back on track. So we really try to, again, schedule things, put things on the calendar so that we can plan and so forth. Find ways that we can reward them or do something fun for them. We took them all last year to, we had to do this in intervals to uh, see, I think it was last year, A Pet's Life, the movie, that, A Pet's Life. Oh, I think it was, Yeah, just, a, you know, you know it's, something pet related and we get to get together and, you know, so we did that and that was a lot of fun. So, you know, anything that we can do to kind of keep morale up, we provide certain things at certain times of the year to help them, you know, Mm -hmm. it's hot, we give them neck wraps. If it's cold, we give them hand warmers and, you know, encouragement, constant Mm -hmm. encouragement. You know, we, we try to prep them for what's coming, bad weather, you know, good weather, brag about them when clients give rave reviews and anything we can do to keep that morale up. And we really try to key in on each individual because everybody's different. And sometimes you can tell when people are burning out, sometimes you can't. So giving them that opportunity to have a voice and to, you know, to let us know, you know, what they're thinking and feeling is important to them. And do you have a a mission statement or do you have commandments that are written down like thou shall not gossip and thou (laughs) shalt support one another? (laughs) We do. We do. It's so funny. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We do. I mean, our our mission, our company mission, um, which really kind of affects everything is is to to be to the, you know, to be the client's trusted resource for their pets their entire life. Mm-hmm. You know, to provide a service experience that people can rave about and to be thoughtful to the people around you and think how, you know, you can impact them in a positive way. So, you know, if you're mm-hmm. constantly thinking that way in that mindset, you know, when you walk into that client's home or whatever you're doing, you got to kind of set your personal stuff aside. It's not always easy, but, you know, mm-hmm. how do you affect it's a, it? Because there is a ripple effect. It's not just you. You have to look at the big picture and it's very easy to get laser focused and you're out on your own island when you're out pet sitting. Mm-hmm. You kind of forget about that. You're having a crappy day, and so you're going to take it out on everybody. You know, so you have to just really draw that focus back to what's the big picture here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have core values, and we have a, a, a lot of stuff that we go over initially in the beginning when we're when we're when we're onboarding and training our staff. Well, I just had so much fun meeting you at the NAPS conference, and I was so. I was so inspired by you. You won the National Association of Professional Pet Sitters. That's what I'm referring to, the um, Pet Sitter of the Year Award. And I just thought that you had such a great energy and light about you. And I think that's that's what it boils down to is that you understand that we're all connected and what we put out into the world, it comes back. And, and I think that that's probably where a lot of your success comes from is <laughs> <laughs> just really having that outlook and that perspective. But as far as your clients go, how do you make your clients happy? What's the, the key to that? What has been the secret to your success? That's it. And I have another good question. I, I am a bit of a pe- people pleaser um, to a certain degree. And I think in the beginning for me, I wanted to make everybody happy. I wanted to do what everybody wanted. And, you know, and I stretched myself too thin initially. Mm-hmm. Setting boundaries, you know, when you're raising kids, they, they talk about, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. You know, you don't set any boundaries or you don't give them, you know, structure that, you know, they, they suffer. And I think that it's true with any relationship. So for us, while we want to do all we can to make that client happy, that customer service, you know, I believe in that good old-fashioned customer service, the customer's always right to a certain degree. 
I also felt like we had to stick with what we knew we did and did well and not try to do everything to please everyone. So, and I think people respect that, you know, when you, when you have those boundaries and you're firm, but you're also flexible because life happens. So we, again, like we do with our staff, we really try to meet our clients where they are, you know, because they have things going on in their world. And sometimes they're not not the most pleasant to deal with at times, you know, and I always try to consider what's going on on the other side and try not to take it personal because it's typically not. We, we, again, try to communicate with them as much as as we can. And we try to prepare the staff to be so that they communicate well and are, are providing the things that the clients are looking for. And, you know, it's just that reliability, that that communication, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, again, making sure that we're listening to what their special needs might be for their pets or their home, and then also being honest when we feel like we can't deliver what they're what they're what they're asking for, and maybe we're just not the right fit, and we'll help you find someone else if we're not, rather than just you know having kind of a cold corporate relationship. I just don't believe in that. So, and you know, it's not for everybody. Not everybody's that's not everybody's strength. I just happen to be that. That's what I have. That's what works for me. And if it's not your strength, you know, customer service and, and you're, but you're really great with the pets and all the detail behind that, that helps get someone to, to be that person for you. You know, it's definitely worth having that layer because you, you've got to be able to push aside how you feel and put a smile on your face when you're talking to somebody and, you know, trying to either get their business or, or keep their business or, you know, just get through, you know, whatever that situation may be. So, so true. Yep. It's recognizing your, your weaknesses, your strengths and and making sure that you can bring in the people into your life that are going to fill those gaps and also make you a better leader. Yeah. So how was that receiving the Pet Sitter of the Year Award? It was huge. I'm so honored and super excited. There's a lot that goes into that process. And I've been on both mm-hmm. sides of that process because I, I used to serve on the board over a decade ago for NAPS. And yeah, it was huge. And I had tried to get it another year and didn't get it. <laughs> so, you know, it's not an easy thing to get, even if you've been associated with the uh, association. So it was a huge honor. We worked really hard for that. And it's, it's, it's one of my proudest moments, you know, with this business. And I know my staff were super proud as well, because again, mm-hmm. it's not, this business is not, is not Joette White. This business is, is every single staff member that works for me. I recently watched a show and they were talking about um, hiring staff and everything. They were talking about what's the most important thing in your business. And they said, Oh, well, you know, client relationships, client relationships. And and somebody said, well, you know, really it's, it's staff. And I, I agree hundred percent. My staff are probably the, the biggest thing that I focus on initially because I can't, my company can't grow unless they're providing great service for my, for my clients. So I have to treat them really well. So they're happy in their job and they go out and they do a great job and then the clients are happy. So managing your staff and, and doing all you can for that, you know, is critical. So the, the award is because of them, you know, because of the, mm-hmm. the, the, their loyalty and their commitment to, you know, providing uh, excellent care and, and their passion for animals. So I couldn't have done it without them. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I know it's and it's always it's always a struggle. I mean, especially as you continue to grow because there's new things that pop up and things that change and you just have to make sure that you're always striving to get to that next level and keep learning. Which brings me to what goals do you have for this year and where do you see your business in 5 years? That's a another great question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I don't know if I have a really good answer. Uh, let's see. This year, we're really focused on putting in place some more policies and procedures and some more structure within our office. We've got great 
training materials and all of that stuff for our staff, but we really have not written an operations manual for our office. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff is just in our heads and we have certain ways we do things, but we're like, we you know, we really need to write this down in order for it to duplicate it. So that's one of the things we're focused on. We're also looking at maybe changing some of a little bit of our structure and how we sell our service. So we're kind of looking at what our options are. You know, the market's shifting, it's, it's changing and, you know, you, it's hard to know you know, how do you prepare for that? You know, you can't continue to do things exactly the same and expect the same results and the same so growth. True. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you have Rover or, you know, dog... Um, Wag. Wag, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and people coming in and kind of, you know, shifting, you know, the industry a little bit. And also, you know, just the fact that the, the younger generations that are coming up, how do you... I mean, I'm facing things that I hadn't hadn't really considered. I'm like, oh well, I just provide great customer service and provide a good rate, and you know, I'll always be successful. Well, no, it's an always an evolving thing, so you have to be very mindful and you have to be open to change. And sometimes that's difficult. I don't think any of us mm-hmm. love change, but I always have to be very open minded and listen to you know those folks around me, younger, older clients, people that are disrupting the market and that type of thing to kind of get indicators on what we need to do and try next. So yeah, so you know, in the next five years, I probably my goal personally is to be more removed from the business, the day to day, and have you know that that opportunity to really know that I spent really good quality time with my kids because they're going to be grown before I know it, and you know, just have really good you know staff here running and and doing all the things that, that need to be taken care of. It's just you know, every time I think, oh, this year's going to be the year that we're going to, it's going to be easy. You know, it's going to be, oh, we're going to coast <laughs> this year, right? You know, it's like, no, not coasting yep. this. Year. So it's always, you know, we've got to constantly be thinking, and and you know, because that the, the minute you get into that mindset, you got to you get really comfortable. The next thing you know, you're like, wow, why do I have a decrease in business? Why am I not this? Why am I not that? You know, you so say you have to mm-hmm. constantly be thinking about it. But then you need to also, you know, again, find that good separation because I have to do things for myself in order to kind of renew my love for what I do and to give myself that downtime and so forth. And that's a hard thing for me. So that's another thing I'm going to try to do this year is actually take a, a family vacation because I'm, I'm a bit of a workaholic. So You <laughs> deserve to... that. You should take two or three family vacations. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chaperone a, a trip to DC uh, and uh, New York this year at the end of, oh, at, at the beginning of summer for my kids' sixth grade class, but that, that, that doesn't really count. But yeah, you know, taking that time because again, unplugging... And or, you know, like when I go to a conference or stuff like that, anything related to what I do, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping away from the day to day and I get just such a renewed excitement about everything. You know, connecting with people in person is, is such a, a that are like minded is such a cool thing and such a such a needed thing for me. Um, I'm involved in a couple of um, outside groups that are, um, you know, that we kind of created on our own. But seeking other people's advice. Oh, gosh, just a variety of things. So. Yep. I'm excited though. I'm always excited. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I find that when I go and travel, the first thing I do when I get on an airplane is to whip out my journal and all of a sudden all the thoughts start pouring out and all the ideas and and things that I want to change in my business and you get this renewed energy and then I'll just read a ton of business books while I'm on my vacation and then I come back and and my employees they kind of go, "Uh-oh, here she comes." <laughs> Exactly, exactly. She's all fired up. (laughs) Yep. And speaking of business books, do you have any favorite business books or podcasts that you would recommend to first-time entrepreneurs or people that are looking to scale their business and bring on employees? Yeah, you know, I'm not a big book person and and I never have been. And I have read some and I have, you know, listened to, 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 to speakers and stuff, but I'm more about 
talking to people that are day to day doing this, you know, and, and, and getting to know them and making those relationships. And so I've got a lot of pet sitting company friends, both in my own market and across the country that are comfortable sharing information and so forth, you know, and, 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 and kind of are mentoring each other or, or kind of a support group, if you will. So yeah, so I, I wish I could recommend something, but there's nothing for me that sticks out. I, I, I just, again, it's, it's all about who's doing this day to day, who, who's going through this struggle, you know, like I am, and they may not run their business exactly as I do, but that doesn't matter because at the end of the day, a business is a business and you're going to have the same type of, of, of hurdles quite often. Um, and of course, you know, this industry, so being very young, you know, has a lot, is a lot, lot, a long way to go as far as growth and maturity and, and so forth. So, you know, I look for those people that focus on, you know, how can we really be professional and how can we help the industry be more professional? So, um, so that's where I do. I do it about, it's my mind is about the connection with the people. So, and I Google a lot. <laughs> so. I was just going to ask you now, how do you find those groups of people? Well, that's how, that's what I did when I joined NAPS. Uh, my goal mm-hmm. when I joined NAPS was I needed to know. And, and I, I went and I'm like, oh, great. There's all these other small companies. Is there any big companies? Is there anybody out there that I can align myself with that's struggling where I am? Mm-hmm. And they connected me. They're like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, my very first person I met was Shannon Santola, who has a couple of pet sitting business. And in addition to she started Power Pet Sitter, the software. Mm-hmm. She's one of my best friends and, and I just love her to death. You know, so we, you know, we connected and it kind of just grew from there. So, um, you know, you just got to put yourself out there, and it's not always easy. You got to make the time for it. And you know, again, you know, I, I'm a member of PSI as well, and I find value in both of those groups. And then, I, like I said, I, uh, we have, I have breakaways. So I have other people that are large, have some large companies uh, that we've just connected personally, and, and you know, we we try to Skype or, or whatever we can to get together. And t- sometimes we'll make a, an effort to actually go somewhere and meet, and you know, and do that in person time. So yeah, that's critical for me because I otherwise I'm I'm like. I'm not doing myself any good. How am I feeding my my own soul and my own entrepreneur brain? So yeah, and sometimes it can feel isolating to be a business owner. You feel like other people don't understand what you're going through, and you don't have you know you don't have colleagues and coworkers that are well that are I guess on the even playing level. Or I, I don't know how to explain it, but you kind of feel alone at the top sometimes. <laughs> it's so true. It is, and you know it. Finding those people that you can connect with and that ha- that are, uh, for me, it's it's also like minded in how they run their business. How do they treat their staff? How do they? Because you know, I don't. I will absolutely clash with somebody who's harsh with their staff and you know, kind of, I don't know, uh, jaded, you know, and and, and bitter. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't do well with that, you know. Uh-huh. So um, uh, I will certainly talk to those people if they seek me out, but um, you know, that it, they may not, you know, like my 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 processes and my policies and the way that I view my my um you know, my worldview, I guess, if you will. So yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, but it's critical for me. I can tell you, I can read a book and you know, I'm like, oh, that's great. Maybe I'll take this or that. But it's, for me, I, it's that, it's that, that constant fuel of that other person. And then, you know, finding somebody helps, it helps you be accountable, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, you set this goal. How, where are you with that goal? How are you doing with that? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. I'm not getting, well, you know, maybe try this. I ended up working with a business coach. Mm-hmm. That has been one of the best things I've ever done. And I tried many others until I found one that fit my style and the fit and worked for me. Mm-hmm. And that's probably been one of the biggest reasons that I've been able to grow over the last five years and do the things that I've done in the last five years and add the layers that I've added was that person that came in. Her name's Erin Fenstermaker. I highly recommend her. Um, right. And you do not, you do not have to, she does not need to be local. I mean, she's just, and she's really, she, she gets it, you know, she's, you know, she's all, she's just, I, I, I can't describe it, but for me, 
I've had other business coaches that say, you know, okay, this week I want you to work on this, this, and this, and they make me a list, and then they're we'll get together next week. I don't work well like that. Um, that's just not, you know, I don't need more lists of things to do. I need somebody to help me take this big thing I want to do and then chunk it out and make it, you know, attainable and set those goals because I'm all over the map. I don't manage my time well, or I'm this or that. So I need someone to keep me focused and keep me on track, but to lay that path out because mm-hmm. otherwise I'm, I'll take on too much and try to do it all at once. And I'll have many things going on at one time and nothing gets finished or nothing gets done well because I've got other things. I've got a family and stuff now. When I was younger, that was a lot easier to manage um, mm-hmm. and single. But yeah, having having that support is, is critical for me. And I, I find it... I like it. It's fun for me. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's good to have that person that you can be accountable to because if you don't, it's really easy to push it. And it's not... It's not that you don't want to do it or that you're making excuses. Like you can start beating yourself up about it and feeling really guilty. I know that I do. But having somebody who is your cheerleader and also checking in with you and making sure that those things are getting done, it's worth its weight in gold. So yeah, Yeah. I, I highly recommend a business coach too. Yeah, I'll have to reach out to Erin and maybe work with her myself. Yeah, she's phenomenal. She really is. I just... You know, anything that you can do to keep yourself renewed and, and love what you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 I say I counsel because that's kind of why I feel like I counsel or mentor some, some folks in my own market as well. I've helped other people start pet sitting companies that compete with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, you know, they, 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 they struggle with that letting go and letting other people do things. And then they, they, they'll call me. I'm like, I think I'm ready to sell. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're, you're just, you know, you're burning yourself out mm-hmm. because you're still doing the day to day pet sitting and trying to run the business and trying to hire people and trying to do all these things. At some point, you're going to have to make that decision and, and start to trust other people and, and be willing to make mistakes and be willing to spend a little bit of money and not, you know, there's, I still have a lot of fears and a lot of concerns about things. Anytime I raise rates or anytime I do whatever, but then I look at the history. I'm like, made it through that, made it through that, made it through that, made it through that. You know what? I'm going to make it through this too. So on some things I've learned hard lessons and again, pick myself up, don't beat myself up, and, you know, let myself have that moment of, morning or whatever I need, you know, Uh (laughs) but I got to move on. You know, I can't live and dwell in that all the time. And so surrounding myself with positive people and, and, and trying to remind myself and let, but forgiving myself and letting myself have those moments when I, when I just don't want to do it anymore, or or I need a pity party day or whatever. That's okay too. Mm -hmm. You just can't live there. You know, thank you for being so real. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that so many people, you know, that they glorify this entrepreneurial lifestyle. And, and it's always about the success and the, the everything that's so great and good. And, and they don't let their guard down to say, you know what? I have my bad moments and I have my fears and you have bad days and that is okay because everybody does. And you do, you just have to give yourself that time, that space, and then you have to pick yourself up and keep on going forward. And you're a testament to that. I mean, you, you have a thriving business and it's, rock solid and you just keep going and providing the best that you can. And I think that's everything that you can do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) So congratulations on all of your success because you're very impressive, Joette. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Well, I'm just, you know, like I said, I'm no better than anybody else. I just, you know, keep trying every day. (laughs) And do you have any parting words or favorite quote or like the number one piece of advice that you could give to new entrepreneurs that are just starting out? Oh, wow. Um, 
you know, just try not to lose focus of, of what you, what you're, the reason why you, you're doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, um, write it down, put it in front of you. I'm, I'm very visual. So I like to have you know, notes and stuff in front of me all the time, you know, and, and then, you know, also seek somebody early on, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody in the pet industry, but some sort of mentor who's, who's been down the road of, you know, running a business and, you know, you know, has, has some years of experience so that they can, you know, you know, reassure you and guide you a little bit as well. Um, you know, that mentor doesn't have to cost you anything, but time, you know, and you got to be willing to put in that time. Um, and like I said, just looking for what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are and, and admitting to those and, and, and finding people that can, that can fill those gaps. That's probably been the biggest thing for me is, is it, all of that combined, you know, relationships. So yep. if you're not a relationship type of person, I don't know what advice I give you. <laughs> I mean, I don't get me wrong. There's times when I don't want to talk to a single soul. You know, I'm like, uh-huh. I just need to be by myself. Um, but people have a lot to give if you're willing to listen. And you don't have to take every piece of advice or you don't have to listen to everything. And it may not fit your fit your needs, but you know, you can pick out those nuggets, you know, here and there that, that work for you. Well, thank you so much, Joette. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for sharing just such good, good, real advice with all of our listeners today. We really appreciate having you on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. All right. Thanks, Joette. You are a total boss for hanging with us and listening to this episode of Handling Business. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, drop us a line at hello at myhandler.com. That's hello at M-Y-H-A-N-D-L-R.com. If you'd like to connect with fellow rockstar entrepreneurs, find us at MyHandler on Facebook and Instagram at M-Y-H-A-N-D-L-R. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can use Handler to scale and automate your business with an on-demand booking app, fleet tracking, and automatic payments, find us at myhandler.com. All right, now go forth and have a successful day.